Yo, I'm coming from that 3-6, so that's why I got them brain spinning. Ain't nobody using blinkers, we ain't good at lane switching. Better get a plane ticket, I ain't flying all you chickens though. Always shoot my shot, better switching off the pick and roll. Dishing off the give and go, all my squad is driven so you can catch us on the road. Promise we ain't doing shows, so that means if you ain't with Rip City, are you listening? I... I'm taking over the show at the moment, and I am your guest, Ryan Whitty Whitledge. You may recognize me from the Blazer Take podcast, but I have decided to come over and start stealing other people's feeds, but at least I was nice enough to invite them in. So I am joined by your regular hosts, Christian and Austin. How are you guys doing today? You know, Hey, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks for having us on. It's, oh, it's really oh, nice to, to be invited onto this podcast. Very kind of you. I'm glad to have you guys. You know, I figured after this long of, you know, paying to host my own podcast that it was actually more financially sound if I just got other people to pay for their own podcast and then steal it. So, yeah, it's a whole Perfect. new brand of of syndication. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so when you guys get those sponsorship checks, just make sure to forward them to me and, you know, I'll I'll try to get you guys your cut. Okay. Perfect. So, Perfect. so Witty's the Bond villain of Blazers podcasts. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I feel if only I wasn't allergic to cats, I'd just have the tiny cat oh. and pet it right now. <laughs> so, close. So, close. so what's been going on around the uh, NBA here, Ryan? Well, if I'm to believe uh, one Mr. Christian here, uh, the Blazers are dead. Um, I believe that's where he wanted to start. And, you know, I think you can only go up from there. Um, I don't find that joke that funny because the way that the injury rate is going on the team, uh, that could be a real possibility in like a week and a half. I mean, right. they're, they're getting down, I think, you know, depending on if, uh, uh, I think Robert Covington's a go for the uh, Bulls game tonight, but I mean, like, without him, you're right at that league minimum eight players. Mm-hmm. So you could start seeing, you know, having, good thing they're not counting them as forfeits, but, you know, you could start seeing games be canceled or rescheduled even more than the two Memphis games we've had, but I don't know, is that where you guys want to start? Just talk about that everybody's, you know, dropping like flies in the in the in this season? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean I, we look at it and CJ is going to be evaluated in like two and a half, three weeks. Nurk's going to be reevaluated in like four and a half, five weeks. So Translation, they're both missing two more months. Yeah, exactly. So this Blazers team is going to be shorthanded for quite a while. The fact that Covington has his concussion, hopefully that'll be over after this game and he'll be able to play as normal. Derek Jones has like a left foot sprain, so... Hopefully that's not something that's reoccurring, but I mean, he got up in that uh, uh, Houston game, that first quarter. Oh my gosh. So yeah, Blazers are going to be shorthanded for a while. That's for sure. Is What's Mello's status right now? Uh, Mello's status. Mello is still shooting the ball from the down in the post. He's still backing people down. Just, just way too many times. <laughs> just, just start watching yeah. in the fourth quarter and hope you never have to see that. Right. Well, so so then who who are our expected starters then tonight against uh, and when I say tonight we're recording here the morning of we're having a coffee morning recording session here uh, at, I guess 10:30 my time 9:30 uh, in Portland for for these guys um, so we're playing the Bulls here on the on the January 30th this evening at uh, 5 p.m. PST so who's who's going to be starting uh, my I think understanding Damian might start. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a lock to start. After that, it's uh, stops just back there rolling the dice and, and seeing what hits. But 
I think Robert Covington is due back tonight. Last I saw, he was probable. He had a post uh, last night on his Instagram of him putting on a mask, one of those fun, clear masks or whatnot, saying be back soon. So I'm assuming he's going to start. Jarek Jones Jr. is uh, is ruled out. So past that, it just kind of depend on if we're going to get Gary Trent Jr. or Rodney Hood, and that's just how Rodney Hood's uh, calf contusion is is feeling from that one game and how many minutes they want to roll him out because they've kept him on his minutes restriction. Uh, Cantor, obviously, and then sadly, you know, Mello jumps into that <laughs> starting lineup spot. So everybody who saw the silver lining and when Nurk went down going, well, at least we can't, we don't have to play Cantor and Mello anymore. Yeah, well, that lasted, what, three games? <laughs> <laughs> And now that's now that's in our our starting lineup is yeah. that mellow canter. That's kind of like a nightmare to me. Like if you would have told me that three weeks ago, I would I would have been like, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Um. Well, you know, on on that note, I really quickly, Ryan, I want to say I was watching some some of the uh, recent games here, the condensed versions on League Pass recently, and and Christian and I have talked about this, and I think in a recent episode that, you know, some of the uh, perimeter on-ball defense kind of puts our not-so-defensively-polished uh, uh, forwards and centers in a position where they need to kind of make up uh, mm-hmm. for lost ground. Um, I noticed, though, that Rodney Hood is a fantastic on-ball defender. Fantastic. He, 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 um, he's very lengthy, obviously, we know that. Um, but he, he just gets so wide and um, just always stays in front of his defender. Like, he doesn't put Ennis Cantor in a position to have to, like, s- slide over and, and, and help, basically, in, in the paint. Um, so just really quickly, I wanted to say that. And also just kind of curious on what your guys' thoughts are around Rodney Hood and where he's landed so far and where he's carved out with the Blazers so far. Maybe Christian? I mean, I can't I can't speak to Rodney too much. I honestly haven't been watching intently on him because what I've been watching too much is that Rockets game. Like if you watch if you rewatch highlights, it's pretty much Blazers hitting threes and Rockets getting to the paint every single play. It's like, oh, and his canter is like 15 feet away from the basket and they just drive right past and like John Wall just being old John Wall and making everything inside the paint. Um, So. That's kind of my big takeaway from their defense right now is not having Nurk, not saying that Nurk was fantastic this season, but not having Nurk is really hurting inside. Yeah. And it's hurting me inside in my heart. Oh, oh, for real. Is there a, yeah, if anybody's out there happy that Nurk's injured again, they can go take a long walk off a short cliff. I'll just throw that out there right now. <laughs> uh, that's interesting that uh, your Rodney Hood take, though, because I haven't necessarily seen that. Rodney Hood, I think he was a serviceable, you know, on-ball man-to-man defender um, before injury, and now obviously coming back from injury, you, he's going to lose a little bit of that quickness. And part of the problem with the Blazers lineup as it stands right now with all these injuries is there's really nobody on the roster that is is fast. Uh, the team is filled with smart players, mm. and I think the defensive acumen is there, but there's not the lateral quickness or the ability to recover. And so it's kind of one of those things where, like, yeah, they know what to do, but if you know uh, there's an extra pass made that leads to you know an open driving lane or an open shooter, uh, the speed for recovery just isn't there. And especially now with this, you know. Uh, it was said that um, the Blazers tried to revamp their defense in the offseason and come up with a new defensive lineup or new defensive scheme. 
And I believe that they tried, but for one, mm-hmm. you had you had training camp shut down because of Nasir Littles and a couple other coaches COVID cases. And yeah. then we found out that when the Memphis games were canceled, that's the first full practice that the team has had all year. So, I mean, it's great. It's like handing somebody a textbook, teaching them how to build a car and then not letting them touch a car, (laughs) you know, for two months and expect them to, you know, be able to just build it perfectly. But the scheme that they wanted to put in at the beginning of the year, I think would have worked if we would have got a Nurkic that was at 100 percent. Him coming back to that like 60%, 70%, you know, kind of being out of shape, not necessarily being in the right mental headspace with everything that was going back on back at home. That kind of hindered the development a little bit. And now you're just seeing the cascading effect of injuries where these guys need to learn to gel together to get these schemes in place. And now, you know, as we're saying, you know, if Robert Cummington sits out tonight, you know, Dame's the last starter standing. So you're not going to, you're not going to build much or learn much with that. With that being said, with the players that they have and that lack of lateral quickness, I think they just got to abandon ship and go straight back to that full on drop coverage. Mm-hmm. Cantor's got to sag in the middle and you just got, cause I do think that, you know, the, some of the individual defenders that are on the team will be able to kind of mask some of that, but you, you, you can't have this hybrid mix. And I know we've seen the Blazers run zone out there a couple times, but with, with the personnel you got right now, it's with where you're going to try to funnel shots to, it, you you got to go back to that drop scheme coverage and, and just kind of hope for the best until you get everybody back. Mm. But we're already hemorrhaging in defending the three-point wall. We are a worse defensive team now trying to institute this new defensive philosophy with the completely wrong personnel to institute <laughs> it than we were last year <laughs> just so going if, straight if, up drop coverage. If you were playing Olshay... And 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 you just I mean, let's say a lot of the yellow tape wasn't really uh, a barrier in this hypothetical. And and you were just thinking of a couple ideal, um, obviously not like superstars, like something semi-realistic of somebody that might end up in Portland uh, that would fit that scheme that they're basically attempting to make happen now and fighting over those screens around the perimeter. Who who comes to mind? Are you talking about like if I'm swapping out any players to to try to make and, and, this new and, defensive scheme work? And, and and you don't even necessarily need to name like who you would remove in order to like facilitate a, like that happening. Just who, what kind of players would like be more conducive to that sort of offensive scheme in your mind? You mean defensive? A defensive, defensive scheme, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, defensive. See, that's the thing. They have the players that they need to institute it. See, if you want to go with the straight-up starting five from night one, CJ is probably the weakest link, but we actually mm-hmm. saw that he was being a little more gutsy and, and trying with his on-ball defense and trying for a little more steals. So he's kind of trying now to put in that effort. That opening night lineup of night one is, is what I think for this Blazers team the best unit. But and I hate for it to be a cop out because so many people try to find so many different reasons. You know, last year it was, oh, well, the injuries. Oh, well, this, you know, now everyone's going, (laughs) oh, COVID. But some of these things do play a factor. And so, like, if this were a regular normal season with fans with no COVID restrictions, you have a full training camp and preseason games. I think we would have seen a much different and much better start to the season from this squad if they would have had the time to actually put in the work as opposed to being limited to, Hey, no more than two guys or three guys in the you know gym at a time. And, you know, yeah. basically, like I said, just getting handed a manual of here's what we want to do, but you can't practice it until mm-hmm. we're in a game. I love the personnel, just having Robert Covington who, you know, can guard the bigger forwards and uh, 
Derek Jones who can guard the smaller forwards or the guards, and he has more of that lateral quickness. I like I, I think it's about as good of a lineup as you can get with Damon CJ. So when you lose Nurk, you you lose that inside presence, and then you lose Derek Jones for for a time, and you know you lose that lateral quickness, that um, defense on elite guards, um, and then Robert Covington, you know who's going to guard someone like LeBron, someone like Kawhi, things like that. Oh, um, I literally hate that statement. I hate yeah? when people are right, like, "Well, who's going to guard LeBron?" There's two, maybe three people in the league that can guard LeBron. I mean, yeah. hell. Ben Simmons the other day in that uh, in that Lakers Sixers game played some of the best defense I've seen anybody play on LeBron, and he still went off for like twenty eight yeah. points. And the question isn't stop LeBron because because there might only be a, a couple guys that could even come close to that, or even largely restrict him. Exactly. So I hate it when people put the benchmark out there of who's going to guard Anthony Davis and who or who's going to shut down LeBron, who's going to shut down Anthony Davis. If your current benchmark for good defense is who's going to shut down two of the best players in the league. You're never going to meet your goal. It's a huge difference between shutting down and guarding. And we didn't even have someone that could guard. Then can we get a consensus on what that means? Can we put a point margin on it? So it's like, hey, you shut him down if he was like 15 points. Anything above that, you, you, you know, you slowed him down. (laughs) That's a, that's a, that's a great poll question. And we will certainly pair it with the release of this episode. Well, yeah, because it used, point it used to it. be like when you were looking at Russell Westbrook, it's like, oh, well, we need to slow down Russell Westbrook. Well, he could still go off for 23 points, but as long as you got him to do it with taking 23s, yeah, right. you were perfectly <laughs> happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> so my point in saying it is, you know, if we're stuck with like Dame, Trent, Hood, and Derek Jones as like our four non-center players, that's there's not a big enough body to be able to contain someone. I look at like back um, in the Nuggets playoff series when Aminu couldn't do anything to Paul Millsap. It's like you need to have someone with a bigger body. So that's that's what I meant when I was talking about Covington. Not necessarily you have to stop LeBron or stop Kawhi, but if you have someone who is, you know, can do it all and they're also a large body, um, Covington's that guy compared to yeah. Derek. Derek Jones might get some, you know, um, chase down blocks and things like that, but he's not going to be able to body him up. Well, I don't necessarily think that you you need to body some of these guys up because we're not talking about, you know, the old school basketball. Let me put on my uh, Chuck and uh, Shaq hat real quick where you're you're bodying people down in the paint. Um, And Austin, I saw you on camera stretching out your arms. I don't know if that was a stretch or if if that was actually you making the play. If if you can be long on defense, you can be a great defensive player. You know, we Mm -hmm. used to see that with Batum. Batum... He could body guys up, but his biggest asset was his length, and he'd play in passing lanes, and he'd block off those kind of things. You know, Derek Jones Jr., um, it, it's weird to think about. He's still a young player. I think he's, what, 23? This is his third year in the league, something like that. So for as good as he is, like, we can't hold him to the standard of, like, oh, we brought him in on this contract, and he has this starting role, and think that he's going to have the acumen of, you know, a five-, six-year vet. Mm-hmm. So for as good yeah. as he is, there's still plenty to learn there. So what I see from him, that's it, it. I'm I'm ecstatic. So oh yeah, love Derek Jones. He's he's pretty much doing everything you could ask from him. Um, obviously, there's always room for improvement, but he's just come in and been great for this team. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the first one of the first games that we recorded, I was kind of hating on him because uh, at least maybe on Twitter because he would he would play really far up on these guards. 
And I'd be like, dude, no doubt you're you're one of the few guys on our team that is athletic and long enough to to guard, you know, backcourt players. But um, he was kind of he was kind of overdoing it sometimes. And they would and like I saw, I think, like Brogdon and maybe a couple other more like uh, heady players, like skillful players would just give him like one quick hesitation and maybe clip him on a pick and they'd yeah. get around him because he'd, oh, he'd be a little bit too aggressive. But he's so long. Him and, and, and Rocco are so long. They don't really need to do that. In fact. I saw, I think, if it was, whether it might have either been a breakdown by, like, Lamar Hurd or it, it could have been kind of a free agency discussion on, like, the, um, uh, what's the morning show with Rachel Nichols? Uh, what's that show? The Why Jump. I, the the jump. jump, yeah. Yeah. Um, they were talking about how, you know, Rocco is so long and he averages, I think, he averaged at one point when he was, you know, a really hot commodity, uh, you know, I think like two steals or something. He'll let guys, almost like a defensive back, like beta quarterback, like he'll let guys get by him. And he'll make up ground, or he'll he'll let them get that get the get the ball up, and just because he's so long, he'll 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 ch- get him from behind, but he'll he'll kind of bait him a little bit. So it is it is nice to have. I, I see your guys's point when you talk about uh, that 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 question, Ryan. I, I pose, you know, who are these ideal guys? Well, we already got them. They're just not healthy. <laughs> And if you want to go back to kind of the inexperience and a little bit of a learning curve, because I know that with Derek Jones Jr., a lot of people like to point out, well, he couldn't even be played in the finals, you know, with the Heat last year. Well, again, you know, he was a little bit of a fringe player for them. Everybody trims down their lineup. I'm not going to hate on the fact that if he was the ninth guy on the roster, you know, that that means he should just means they cut their lineup down to eight. But, you know, besides that, he was in the 2016 draft class. He went undrafted. So. He he didn't even get picked and then, you know, spent a year with the Suns before moving over to the Heat. And then his first year or two with the Heat, he was mostly on their G League. So you're mm-hmm. talking about a guy who's got two, he's working on two years only of real NBA experience. And he's already, you know, doing as well as he is. That's going to give me optimism. For lack of a better term, he's the uh, Nicholas Batum, but I actually believe that he will get better. Yeah, I mean, Derek Jones is great. I mean, he... His athleticism is through the roof, literally. And I mean, obviously not literally, but I'm going to say it anyway. I just want to see him hit the ceiling somehow. He's crazy. I mean, every game he's doing something that just blows your mind. So the fact that he has more than just the athleticism, that he can do something defensively, that he can knock down a three from time to time. Yeah, he's he's exactly what this Blazers team needs. And we saw it at the start of the season where him and Rocco just set up so many more fast breaks and like Gary Trent Jr. is really good but anytime I see Gary Trent Jr. in a fast break I know he's gonna somehow miss the layup like he's done it so many times so you see guys flashbacks to Wesley Matthews running the fast break yeah right yeah (laughs) so I mean Derek Jones and Robert Covington when they play together you know it it helps to have the other starters but if you have them and then another guard gets out there and you got like a three-on-one three-on-two like that's an, an element to their game that the Blazers have not had for years. So, and um, that's a that's actually a really good point, Christian. I've been really high on on Gary Trent, obviously, and a lot of people have, and um, more specifically uh, with regards to his shot selection. And in the half court offense, he does have similar to dare I say Wesley Matthews some very you know mature shot selection. But in the fast break, I I. I haven't really actively thought about it. Yeah, he's, he's like in through traffic, you know, just like kind of a split second decision, fast break. Yeah, he's, he'll turn it over and miss the layup. I've, I've seen that now a handful of times. 
My uh, my one complaint about Gary Trent is that he's doing a lot of what CJ McCollum just worked himself out of doing is mm-hmm. is that you're seeing him in a error in an attempt to evade a defender or somebody closing out. He'll actually take the dribble and take the step inside the three point line. Mm, yep. And then he's a little strong on his shot. I think his shot selection he, he's kind of, he's okay at the elbows if he's going to break a guy down in there with his little turnaround jumper. But he needs to just be either a straight up three point shooter or they need to work on getting the ball down into him on the post, run some action to get a mismatch for him because he actually does have that, you know, that body build to be able to kind of body some smaller guards down there. Yeah. He's got a nice little, like, like a little floater game I've seen, like kind of that like little runner, that little cross key area right there. I've seen him uh, get a couple off the glass, like through some contact, but not really that like traditional right at the rack slashing layup. Right. I mean, that's, well, Hey, quick question. What do we expect to see tonight against Chicago? Six-point loss. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, the last three games have been three-point games. Blazers beat the Knicks by three after having, you know, six, seven, eight days off. Um, and then they lost to the Thunder and to the Rockets just by three, despite, like, 20-point either leads or deficits at some point in the game. So I'm expecting a competitive game because the Blazers seem to always make it competitive somehow. But... Yeah, I, I would not be surprised if the Blazers end up on the losing end. Do you guys put any any like extreme criticism or onus on all these 20-point blown leads and, or whatnot? Are you giving that a direct criticism to the team or the coaching? Or, uh, Austin, this may apply to you, a little more league pass uh, happy from my understanding. Are you just seeing this as an overall trend in the league this year? I mean, it's it started creeping up this way about it you know a season and a half ago where it used to be that you know if you were up by 12 with six minutes left that's game you're done you're seeing you know people come back from 20 22 25 point freaking deficits in a heartbeat so do you think this is just more of a trend especially in this weird funky covid season or you know or is is this a stricter indictment on the blazers i think i think three-point shots are are more volatile and three-point shots are more prevalent so you live and die and buy the three as they say and basically if it's becoming more popularized then teams can go on runs and i think when 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 players certain players are primed to have those runs and certain players are primed to uh basically lose their juice at the end of the game it can it can happen yeah i think you you live and die by the three by the quarter so it's like you know, oh, things are going great for the Blazers' first quarter. Things are going great for the Blazers' second quarter, that kind of thing. And then, oh, and we lost it. And the fact that these teams haven't had the time to practice, you know, to really lock in their defensive schemes, things like that, it really just goes to the hot hand by by each quarter. It's like, oh, Dame's hitting everything. Keep giving Dame the ball. Um, so it, I think it looks different than most years. But also we see how high scoring the league is now compared to, you know, even last year, two years ago, 20, you know. You you bring up a great point when you're talking about uh, I, I completely forgot. You said both teams are shooting. Teams, right. Yeah. Like I, I so that that doubles this effect. Right. Because all if it's if it's if both teams are hitting, then it's seamless. We don't even think about it. But if one team is is seeking only that shot and the other team and, and completely missing and the other team is, is hitting, then it's even more of a starkly contrasting and, and volatile situation. So that's a great point. Yeah, and, and you saw that specifically, like the best example, obviously, you know, recency bias, but in that uh, 
Oklahoma City game, Dame could not. He just didn't have his legs yep. underneath him. And that's, you know, that's obvi- obviously in close games or when you're making comebacks like that or you're trying to push a lead, getting the ball to your star player is, you know, basketball 101 nowadays. And mm-hmm. if Dame's just not hitting it, it's it's not much you can do. I know you can sit around and yell and be like, well, pass the ball, get the ball to this guy, get the ball to that guy. That's not how the NBA is, no matter how much hand-wringing anybody wants to do. That's like, you know, I would say yelling at the Knicks or the Nets because they're getting the ball out of Kevin Durant's hands, but now they mm-hmm. have Kyrie and Harden, so that's pointless. But yeah, you want the ball in your star player's hands to close out a game and to take the big shots. You know, Dame has shown a bit over the years in which he's willing to pass that up and get it to the hot hand, but, it, you know... To basically your point was very well illustrated as of that Thunder game. Really, really quickly, guys, I was so much so thinking about this uh, prior to our recording that I have notes here in my uh, in my iPhone. It says I'll let you guys read it for people if you can. It might be backwards. No, now and... it just looks like I'm going to be abducted into a screen from your <laughs> ring light. <laughs> it says the note is titled "Reasons for Blowing It." <laughs> Why did you invite me on a show for children? <laughs> No, I mean adult children. Uh, so, so the reasons we we I was like sitting there. I'm like, what do I want to talk about with the Blazers? I'm like, I don't I don't even think I have a choice. I think this this has kind of presented itself. Why are we losing games when we have such you know huge leads? And the first thing I wrote here is terrible three point defense. And then I'll, obviously I want to kind of zoom out kind of and, and and go back to what we just said. It's 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 more it's trending upwards uh, as a style. So coupled with we aren't historically the best three point defending team. So that's a very quick way and a quarterly basis for a team to to make up that ground. We give up a lot of I saw I noticed at least in Houston. And that being said, you know, John Wall's fast. Um, De'Aaron Fox is fast. I noticed this. A lot of players like that. But still, we do give up a decent amount of buckets in transition. Long, long shots equals long rebounds. You guys have heard that. Yep. So if we're bad if we're, you know, if we're taking these threes and we're missing, that's long rebounds. That don't, that only makes the fast break easier for the other team. And let's say we stop the fast break. They, we, we stop them, and the other, the, the other team is, is, is in their half-court offense. We give a half effort, or, you know, I should redact that statement, given Ryan's, what he had said regarding the confusion with the defensive scheme. But it, it, what it looks like is we, get, we have a half effort on on-ball perimeter defense. Now, mm-hmm. whether that's a miscommunication or we don't have the personnel, or it's an effort thing. It puts Ennis Cantor in a position to to move his feet with a guard. So it's a little bit of an effort and a personnel thing, because that goes back to we don't have anybody with the lateral quickness. So yeah. if you can have one, if you have you know one fifth of your starting lineup that is playing great on ball defense, obviously unless anybody's unless anybody's going to recover for a help side or or whatnot. Uh, you know, that one pass is going to break it down. And that kind of plays yeah. into it. Like, you can play 20 seconds of great man-to-man defense if the last four seconds suck and they get a clean shot. Obviously, you played crappy defense the whole possession, so. <laughs> and here's another one. Early shot clock, early shots in the shot clock means oh, yeah. they don't have to spend a lot of energy defending you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So then when they get back, and, and, and when it's a long shot, like we see sometimes from some of our guards, Early in the shot clock, and it's a long rebound. They didn't expend any energy defending us, and then basically uh, they get it. They get. I guess what I'm trying to say is, it feels like our our we're on the beaches of Normandy, and our guts are out. Like like there is there is nothing good happening for us defensively right now. Is there one good? I mean, maybe Ennis. 
That's the silver lining is like Ennis is like the medic on the beach that just picked up a gun and you're like, oh, my gosh, you have you have five blocks. Like, what are you oh doing? Like, it, but like aside from that, like we what are we doing well defensively right now? I think the three point defense for the most part has improved. But everyone is better at shooting three pointers every year. And so they're making these contested ones. I, I won't say that like it, they're great at three point defense or anything like that. Like they're getting eaten up by screens, all that. But for the most part, I'm seeing a lot more like hands in the face, you know, not fouling. Um, so it looks like an improvement, but they're just hitting the shots still. We, we saw a lot more of like Carmelo Anthony, just like watching a guy shoot a three and they make it in his face. And it's like, dude, Carmelo, get out there. Like we saw that at the start of the season for sure. But for the most part, Against, I, I'm thinking back to the Kings game when we came back from two 20-point leads, two 20-point deficits, essentially. That's true. They were just making everything. Like, we were on them, and they were making everything. So I'm not saying that's always the case, but for the most part, it's improved from recent years, um, but it just hasn't actually shown that whatsoever. Mello in the starting lineup is not going to help this any, and this kind of touches on, you know, you see him watching guys take shots Melo knows he's not a great lateral quickness guy, especially on defense. He knows he's not a great defender and he wants his rebounds and he yep. wants to get, I think he's got a quota to meet for how many times he can get a TV broadcast to bleep out. For real. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, that is part of the reason that our, our, I would say he is a big part of the reason that our defensive or our three point defense absolutely stinks because like I said, you know, 20 seconds, a great defense, but if all it takes is to get mellow sucked into the paint and you got that guy sitting in the weak side corner and then you get that stupid mellow doing his lazy jog, putting his hand up, but like running to the side of the guys so he can make it look like he played defense and they make that corner three. I think the Blazers have the worst corner three defense in the league, but a lot of it is because you're seeing stuff like that, you know. Uh, when Nurk went down, can't, they were picking on Cantor, making him the weak side because they got to drag him out of the paint and he's having to chase guys over. Well, now you have Cantor and Mello down there who are not great recovery defenders. So yeah. if the best option to do is to break down the defense, try to suck somebody into the middle and hit that weak side corner three, that, that there's your recipe for success. And again, I don't, you know, I, I love it when they're like, or when you can see, you know, in the Twitter verse and whatnot, Blazers Twitter freaking out. Well, you know, why is Stotts having guys do that? You think Stotts is telling him to lag off? <laughs> He's probably every time in the huddle going, why is nobody cares? <laughs> yeah. Let me ask this then, Christian, what are our cautionary points this evening with the Bulls? And what are our opportunities or our pressure points that we can push on? Given everything that we've just discussed. Oh my, oh my God. Is this your Ford store's keys to the game? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I feel like Zach Levine could really do something to us without Derek Jones Jr. in the lineup. Yeah. I, I don't feel great about Dame or Gary Trent guarding him very well. Maybe, maybe Rodney Hood can do something, but I feel like Zach Levine always does something to the Blazers. And I don't think that uh, we are well suited to stop that tonight. He's kind of kind of the main guy. Him and Kobe White, you know, they've been pretty good. I haven't watched too much of the Bulls this season, but yeah, I I would not be surprised if Zach Levine gets forty plus tonight. Forty plus, geesh. Mm. Uh, I don't know. The the interesting part for me, it's going to be the secondary, you know, scoring guards because you know. Obviously, with Dame and Zach Levine, if you're worried about Zach Levine going off for 40, I'm going to say that it can be a wash because Dame can get that if he wants. So yeah. that's not going to be the big thing. You got to look at those their secondary scoring options. 
So if they if if Kobe White's going off, that's an issue, especially if Gary Trent Jr. isn't finding his rhythm, or let, if Rodney Hood ends up starting. If he's if he's not getting off to a good thing, it's going to be the secondary guard scoring is going to be the big aspect of this game for me, at mm-hmm. least personally. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit of a situation report: the Chicago Bulls going into this game here, January 30th, are seven and ten. They're tenth in the East. They are on a two-game losing streak, coming off a, uh, a loss 119 to 103, I believe, to Boston. Is this going to be played in Chicago or in Portland? Chicago. Tonight. This is game yep. two of the six-game road trip. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so at home they are actually two and five. Away they are five and five. So mm-hmm. we actually this is kind of bodes well for us that it's in the United Center. It appears. Let's see here. The Bulls beat the Blazers back, uh, what day was that? Back January 5th, 111 to 108. So, again, a three-point game. So I would. Didn't we blow a like, 15-point lead in the fourth on that? Looks like, yep, they had, when, what was the lead? The highest lead was 20-point Blazer lead in the second quarter. Uh, it, it, was, it was a pretty close game throughout the, the whole fourth quarter. Okay. So they got, they got, a couple guys, a couple of, uh, obviously Zach Levine's going to be dangerous, but a couple of kind of sleepers you got to watch out for would be, I think, Porter and White. I think Kobe Kobe White and, and Otto Porter, uh, Otto Porter's a, a three-point corner specialist. I don't know, obviously he may have uh, not panned out quite to the value that he was really uh, waved around at here in recent off-seasons, mm-hmm. but still certainly a, a dangerous guy in the corner and Kobe White definitely a good three-point shooter uh, a young young athletic team here Lori Marketing can stretch the floor as a four as a forward so you know they're dangerous offensively we just got to yeah. be a little bit more it might be a, one of those situations where we just got to flat out score more yeah. see and i think that's i think that's the system that the team is kind of trying to adopt now it's literally I think Stotts has just kind of waved his hands until like, hey, until I can, you know, get my full complement of players back, which will probably be after the quote unquote all star break. You know, he's just let's just straight gun. Just just go for it. And that's kind of one of the things, too, where I had I had mentioned, you know, uh, adopting that old school coverage or not old school, but, you know, last the drop scheme coverage, um, especially with Cantor. Cantor will eat every single rebound that comes to him. That is his specialty. So if part of your coverage is going to be dropping him down in the lane and keeping him closer to the basket on possibly missed shots, that leads to the, you know, that can only benefit the Blazers. One of the other kind of sneaky, weird benefits here too, and I'm, I kind of, it leads me to have some optimism with seeing some of these close games is, you know, Ant starting to wake up and pick up his offensive mm-hmm. rhythm. Gary Trent Jr., you're starting to see him actually get some consistency. He's not going through games where it's one day he's scoring 18 to 24 and then the next game he's scoring six he's kind of starting to figure it out so if you insert cj's even just not his great numbers from this season but his career averages into these games and now gary trent and ant are starting to find this rhythm and find their proper shots and get the ball moved around and now you translate that to the second unit that can that can only benefit the team in the long run you know, seeing these guys kind of figure their stuff out because I yeah. everyone's like, okay, well, where are you going to get your points from? You're not going to necessarily replace CJ's points. Yeah, you can get it on a point for point basis, but you've now taken that that scoring ability away from the bench and just moved it to the starting lineup. You haven't gained any ground. You've just, you know, you've put a piece of bubble gum in uh, in the hole in the side of the ship. Christian and I talked briefly briefly last episode about 
Oh my goodness. Now I'm spacing because then I just started looking at uh, standings right as I was <laughs> as I was about to uh, speak about that. But Ryan, I'm sorry. Could you give me a, just a real quick refresher? The last the last thing you had noted here uh, uh, regarding our, our our squad here. Well, talking about the fact that you know if you're going to have your this um, this more balanced and and regular scoring from Gary Trent Jr. and Anthony Simons, you know th- that. Yeah, that can to a certain extent replace CJ's numbers, but you've now just taken that scoring away from the bench. So when CJ yeah. comes back, if he's not even up to, if he's not going to perform at the level that he was to start the season, if you just put him back to his career averages, put that scoring in great. Well, now Gary Trent Jr. And Anthony Simons have had this period to kind of get comfortable, especially with each other in these lineups, you know, and know how to play off ball and get that scoring now to the bench. Yeah. So if we're losing games right now, by five six you know three points if we're keeping them close great pop cj's 20 points back in there or whatnot there's a little more consistency you know so for me during especially during this time that they're without Yusuf Nurkic and cj mccollum i'm not going to get too much hand-wringing if they can maintain a 500 500 win total with these two guys out that's a win in my book and especially if you're going to look you austin you just said you were looking over the standings it's a mess after like, you know, the Lakers, yeah. the Clippers, a little bit of a fall off. And then you have the Nuggets and the Jazz. But that whole bottom uh, after the top four in the West yeah. is just freaking fluky. I mean, everybody's still fawning over Luka Doncic, but the Mavs are what, eight and 10 right now, eight and 11. And Ryan, yeah, that's actually a great point. You're kind of talking about the timing and that's and that refreshed me on what I was going to discuss. Christian and I had noted, you know, just the timing of these injuries and, and will it will it work out? Obviously, I think that's what a lot of people are wondering. Will it work out in, um, with the postseason? And you've kind of brought up a really good, you know, potential positive from this situation that uh, this this kind of young backcourt of ours can get some exposure. And even even Harry Giles, you know, you never know what can happen in the postseason. Who knows? Maybe it's Ennis that uh, has another shoulder issue. Knock on wood. But, you know, maybe Yusuf comes back and Harry and Harry Giles minutes that he's getting right now are, are were valuable for him. So. Potential silver lining. But hey, as we approach the hour, is there any uh, last minute notes you gentlemen would like to make? You guys don't want to fire stops? (laughs) I will never root for the Blazers to keep stops. If they were ever to fire stops, I would be happy with it. But I'm not going to freak out that he's not fired right now. Okay, like I pretty much never been impressed with him the last like three years. There's almost been nothing that he's done where I'm like, great job, stops. It's usually like, why the heck did you just take that time out if you're not even going to call a play. You're just going to give it to Mello to run ISO and miss. Pretty much never am I ecstatic to have Terry Stotts as the Blazers head coach. I've actually yeah. asked around to a, to a couple of people I know that, you know, cover the team or, or know things about, about certain things. And, you know, it's not necessarily that Stotts is, isn't drawing up plays. To your point there, we've seen a lot of plays that have broken down once they yeah. get into Mello, there's action off the ball. And Mello, I mean, granted, here's the one critique that I have of Stotts is that he does give players a lot of freedom to yeah. make their own decisions. But there are times where you've seen the ball get inbounded in, you end up seeing some movement off the ball in an attempt to get somebody open, but there's a guy like Mello that's just going to be like, nope, I got this. He's, yeah. he's still in his vintage Mello mode. So yeah. there is a lot of kind of, a little bit of, it has, it's not a, a locker room break per se, but there, there is a little bit of that, of frustration with Stotts that he's, that the things that he's wanting aren't necessarily being run out there. And yeah. that even goes to Dame too. Dame is a great, you know, pick and roll player. He's the best pick and roll point guard in the league. 
and he'll break off plays and take guys one-on-one and, and want to go pick and roll just because that's his strength as opposed yeah. to maybe doing what the coach is calling out. So I, I do try to stress that a little bit. There, Stotts has his flaws. If the team does not perform, get to the playoffs, maybe make a little bit of noise in the first round or advance pass, I do think Stotts' time will or will not see next season. But there, for as much for as much critiques as he has, there are still grown NBA players on the court that are making decisions and deciding to go against it. And when one of those is your star player, your hands are kind of tied with that. I mean, what are you going to do? Bench Dame? It's not, he's not going to, Stotts doesn't have the reputation in the league to go full on Popovich. Yeah. Bench his best player to prove a point. Yeah. Quick question. Has, has CJ scored more than 60, right? No, no, no. He scored more than, he scored more than 50 though. It's between like 50 and 52. I don't think he's had more than that. Okay. Well, the point still being is Melo was trending earlier this week. I don't know if you guys saw. He they, It was basically the 62-point game in uh, Madison Square Garden that he had as a Nick. I, I, the, the, the biggest takeaway I had from that was, well, I can kind of see where our problems are coming from now. We have three players, three starters that have been able to score individually more than 50 points. And so at times they, they at times that's kind of just seems to be the corner, you know, the 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 the, the style corner um, that might kind of bleed through, right? You can, you said vintage mellow, who knows? Maybe a little bit of that's still kind of uh, bleeding through to the um, playmaking decisions. And it, you, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's 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 a measured blame or a measured mm-hmm. fault because you're like, wait, these guys have done this. Dame yeah. taking those shots from like half court, seven seconds into the shot clock. You're like, he, yeah, it's hard because he makes yeah. them like every now and yeah, then. Yeah, it's, right? it's his fu shots. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, McCullum's career high is 50 points. Ironically, he actually scored it three years ago, uh, January 31st in 2018 against the Bulls. And it was so, in three quarters, he, right? He did yeah. that in three quarters. Yep. Right. He could have gone for a 60 spot, but yeah, for sure. All right, guys. I think I think that's kind of all the time we have for today. Ryan, thank you so much for for coming on with us, man. We appreciate it. You mean go ahead? And, hey, what are what are you doing kicking us out? This is my show. I invited oh, you guys here. Oh, oh okay. Thanks you for the invite, Ryan. I'll, I'll let I'll let you do it. I'll let you do it. You can have it. Continue. <laughs> well, hey, go ahead and follow us at Peeps and Plaid on really any any podcast streaming service you would like or on uh, Twitter or Instagram, Peeps and Plaid. Ryan, why don't you go ahead and, and, and shout out your respective handles just so the people know exactly where to go and where to find you. Uh, don't follow me on Instagram. I haven't posted there in like uh, two years. I think I have a grand total of 11 pictures. So yeah, I'm great at this whole social internet thing. For any of my basketball takes or any of my podcast podcast host basketball takes, uh, follow the Blazer Tag PDX. Uh, anything personal, non-sports related, you can normally find over on my uh on my personal Twitter at the witty Ryan. Other than that, I, I got nothing. I got nothing to sell. <laughs> well, Hey, maybe, uh, maybe just some, some health, some healthy players here this evening. Oh, let's, yes, let's, let's hope for that. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. Go rip city. Go rip city.